I did a mystery science theater 3000 thing with some buddies of mine with my puppet and a couple other nice. dudes that had puppets. And we did that to the passion of the did Christ. You, did you videotape that? Well, what happened was I, I what, okay, here's how I got it out. We couldn't put it on YouTube. They took it down. Mel Gibson was like, no, and cried immediately from his Island and they yanked it off of YouTube. Um, so what I did was, is I pulled it up on my, on my home computer all right. And then I pulled out my phone and I went live off my Facebook account and showed the movie that way. Mm -hmm. And it totally worked. Like they didn't <laughs> nice. yank it down or anything, man. Like, like we did it like picture, like a picture in picture. Like you see the, the, like my friend, my puppet and another dude who had a puppet of his own on either side of him. And that's like the main picture, but down in the corner, you can see the Passion of the Christ is playing, and we're, yeah, it's pretty so, great. So this is on your Facebook now, or on the show? Uh, it, uh, no, it's on mine, and it usually should, somewhere around East, keep an eye out for it around Easter, if that's when I roll it out. Just keep saying to yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie that will have you living in the sixth dimension, moving in the wrong direction. A new fantasy musical comedy. The Forbidden Zone. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm Johanna. My son, Finn, follows Gotham Chess on YouTube. Gotham Chess is run by a guy named Levy Rosman, who is an absolute comic genius, but also very, very good at chess. And my son went down to New York City to meet him, which was really exciting, and played chess in Washington Square Park and didn't win, but didn't get destroyed either. So that seemed like a victory. Couldn't recommend Gotham Chess highly enough, even if you're just a casual chess player, like barely understand the game the way I do. You know, still if you're still trying your four-move checkmate and haven't figured out that you can't beat a real chess player with that, this is a, a good way to get started learning a little bit more. It's fun, entertaining, and he does a lot bringing in uh, AI to play chess and sort of comparing the different chess spots, which is very funny. It's interesting you mentioned chess. I used to be very into chess. I was nationally ranked as a teenager, but I kind of gave up on it around the time that computers started beating people. Then I'm like, ah, oh, what's the point? You know, that was kind of like <laughs> that moment. I was on the chess team in high school and we did pretty good. I was the, uh, I think they call it a chair, like second chair or whatever. So I was, there's a four person team. So uh, that was cool, but I was much more into the game Dungeons and Dragons. And we'll talk a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons today, actually. But Dungeons and Dragons, it was banned at my high school. And so as a result, we turned the chess club into the Dungeons and Dragons club. It was just, we had to call it the chess club and have chess boards <laughs> out in case like any like teachers decided to show up and check in on us. But other than that, it was basically we were playing D&D. That's hilarious. You know, that takes us back to the 1980s. So let me just jump in and give a little background of the year of this film that we're talking about, The Forbidden Zone. As an independent filmmaker, sometimes there's a long time between the time that you make a movie and the time people get to see the movie. And that was the case with this film. So rather than a background to the year it was made, I want to go into a background to the time between when it premiered and when it actually got theatrical release. So in 1980, we're going back to March 15th of 1980. That's when Forbidden Zone was first screened at Filmex in Los Angeles, which is a festival in L.A. Other things that happened that year, 
April 13th, the Philadelphia Phillies player Pete Rose becomes the first National League player to get 4,000 career hits. On May 11th, Pete Rose becomes the first National League player in about half a century to steal second, third, and home in one inning during a game. What? Yeah, yeah, in one game against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, He would steal home one other time in his career, that time in a game playing for the Reds against the Phillies. And by the way, the Phillies would go on to win the World Series later that year. I always throw in Cincinnati stuff because we have a big following in Ohio on the show. June 20th, the movie The Blues Brothers is released. In a movie full of excellent music numbers, one widely regarded as a highlight is from Curtis, the character Curtis, which is the brother's father figure played by Cab Calloway. He performs Minnie the Moocher, his number one hit from about a half century earlier. Like it's 1931 was when it was like on the charts. July 25th, the band ACDC releases the album Back in Black just a few months after lead singer Bon Scott died during the Highway to Hell tour. The album starts with a funeral tolling of a one-ton bronze bell, which is the opening for the song Hell's Bells. And that, combined with the title track's refrain of I'm Back and Johnson's visual and vocal similarity to Scott prompt rumors of reincarnation deals with the devil. August 1st, Cable Channel Cinemax is launched. September 17th, after dropping Mystic Knights from their name and gigging heavily in Los Angeles for about a year in their new incarnation as a new wave band, Oingo Boingo finally releases a self-titled debut EP. In October, Roddy McDowell makes his first appearance as the recurring character Mephistopheles on the show Fantasy Island. The episode, which is called The Devil and Mandy Bream, has Mandy selling her soul for the life of her husband, played by Adam West. Mr. Rourke, who's played by Ricardo Montalban, and his assistant Tattoo, played by Hervé Villachez, have to help her get it back. November 1st, the book Michelle Remembers comes out, co-authored by psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder and his patient-turned-wife Michelle Smith. The book details the therapy sessions where Smith supposedly recovered repressed memories of ritual abuse at the hands of a satanic cult and Pazder's conviction of the existence of a vast satanic conspiracy. So he goes on to travel and speak widely about it, acting as an expert consultant on numerous cases over the next decade. December 8th, John Lennon is murdered. January 1981, Only a Lad, the debut studio album by Oingo Boingo, is released. February 4th, Oingo Boingo plays a school assembly in the Westlake High School gymnasium, including the controversial song little girls which oh no you haven't heard little girls they played this in a high school gym total chaos ensues march 27th ozzy osbourne releases his first solo album blizzard of oz this will lead to a pre-teenaged me speaking to ozzy on a promotion appearance call in radio show to ask him who is mr crowley even though I knew the answer, I wanted to hear it on my co- local station, WEBN. I wanted to hear it, like, said in conservative Cincinnati on the radio. <laughs> so, <laughs> April 3rd, beating the launch of the IBM PC by nearly four months, the first personal computer, the Osborne One, debuts at the 7th Annual West Coast Computer Fair in San Francisco. May 8th, a sinkhole opens in Winter Park, Florida, Friday at 8 p.m. By Saturday, it had swallowed up the home of May Rose Owens, a 67-year-old beautician, six Porsche cars from a nearby dealership, and part of the municipal swimming pool. (laughs) Things have changed a lot since then. July 10th, Israel Defense Forces began a regular bombardment of Palestine Liberation Organization strongholds in Lebanon. The siege escalated after the Palestinian guerrillas began shelling Israeli settlements until a July 24th ceasefire. 450 Palestinians and Lebanese and six Israelis died. July 11th, the Writers Guild of America ends a 13-week strike. August 1st, MTV, the music television cable network, which aired videos 24 hours a day at that time, goes on the air 
at midnight in Fort Lee, New Jersey on cable systems throughout the United States with the words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. September 8th, Stephen King's novel Cujo is first published. October 5th, the first ever eight-team playoff in Major League Baseball history began. Each of Major League Baseball's four divisions were decided by matching up the winners of the first and second halves of a strike-divided season. The Cincinnati Reds had the best overall record in the 1981 season, 66-42, but they didn't qualify for the playoffs because they didn't have the best record in either half of the season. (laughs) November 24th, Arne Cheyenne Johnson was convicted of first-degree manslaughter in Brookfield, Connecticut, for killing his landlord, Alan Bono. His defense lawyer argued that he was possessed, but the judge ruled the defense was infeasible in a court of law. Johnson was sentenced to 10 to 20 years, but was released after serving five for good behavior. Five years. It inspired several books and movies, most recently the 2021 film The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. 1982, January 20th. A fan throws a dead bat onto the stage at an Ozzy Osbourne concert in Des Moines, Iowa. Ozzy proceeds to bite its head off. (laughs) April of 1982, the McEwens, the Niffins, and several other Kern County residents were arrested and charged with abusing four children as part of a satanic conspiracy. They received convictions between 240 to 268 years apiece. Wow. (laughs) Remember, the guy that said the devil made him do it got five. Or got out in five. They they will spend over a decade in prison and have their lives ruined before their sentences are vacated after the victims recanted. The forensic evidence was unreliable and substantial police and prosecutorial misconduct was revealed. And then June 9th, Irving Lee Bink Pulling, 16, of Richmond, Virginia, commits suicide. After finding the game Dungeons and Dragons in his room, his mother, Patricia, starts a group modeled after Mothers Against Drunk Driving called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Bad. B-A-D-D. To oppose Dungeons and Dragons, which they condemn as, quote, this is is what Bad calls it, quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings, unquote. I mean... Some of those have come up when I've been playing D&D. Like, we've definitely risen the dead before. That's pretty common. But there are a lot of things on that list that only come up if you bring them in there. (laughs) (laughs) And then, finally, July 16th, Forbidden Zone finally gets a limited release. So, you mentioned the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, and the film comes from this group. It was a desire to capture the essence of their live performances in a film that drove the creation of The Forbidden Zone. Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo was a surrealist street theater troupe founded by Richard Elfman, director of The Forbidden Zone, in 1972. Danny Elfman, yes, that Danny Elfman, took over the group in 1976, and it evolved into sort of an experimental musical theater troupe, performing songs dating back to the 30s and 40s, as well as some original material written by Elfman. In 1979, the group reformed as the rock band Oingo Boingo, best known for their song Weird Science, which I hope we do on this podcast at some point. Director Richard Elfman said of the project, doing anything original is taking a chance. Financially, it bankrupted me and we lost our house, but I'm still glad I did it. Although I'd change a few things if I had a time machine, of course. Once you see the film, you can see how there's potential mission creep. Basically, everything but the kitchen sink went into this movie. It was originally conceived as the Hercules family and was going to be a 16mm musical that consisted of 12 musical numbers loosely strung together with some sort of vague plot. But as the project grew, it became necessary to switch to 35mm and the story got a little bit more complicated. They ended up reshooting a bunch of the original 
scenes in order to fit this new format. It was originally shot on black and white film in 1977, but when they restored it in 2004 and then colorized it in 2008, it became the version we know of today. It was a cult hit mostly for midnight showings during its release. It didn't have a regular theatrical pattern, but given the fan attention to it, it's, it's great that we have a version available today. The only paid actor on the show was Phil Gordon, who played Flash, um, the younger brother in the family, and all the other actors put their money back into the show. They were very passionate about it. Hervé Villachez, whom Eric mentioned you would know from Fantasy Island, or also as Knickknack from Man with the Golden Gun, even stayed to paint sets on weekends. <laughs> Up to about three feet high. <laughs> hey, he could use a ladder. He was actually, in addition to being an actor, he was a legitimate painter. So the man had okay. skills. All right. Um, another founding Sorry, member of the Mystic... all the little people that listen to the podcast, but I had to oh, go Oh, man. <laughs> you are so going to hell, Eric. You're... Um, anyway, another founding member of the Mystic Knights, writer Matthew Bright, who also plays Squeeze It in the film, later became a screenwriter and director in his own right, with credits you probably haven't heard of, except for Tiptoes, starring... You guessed it, Gary Oldman. Everyone! All roads, all roads lead to Gary Oldman. Um, <sighs> moving on. All the music was written by Danny Elfman. This was his debut film score. And you can definitely hear hints of Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas in, in the score and in the songs. And among the major influences on the film, in addition to some of the big band jazz, and we'll talk about that when we get into the numbers, also Max Fleischer cartoons of the 1930s, like Betty Boop. So there's kind of this retro feel to the film, in addition to being way out there and ahead of its time. Of course, it offended a lot of people, and I'm sure we will get into why when we discuss the film. Before we jump into discussing the film, we have a guest on the show today that I want to bring in here. Jason Staley is the producer of the Super Satan show, which you can find on a bunch of platforms, um, YouTube and other places. And uh, he's from my hometown. And uh, before we started the show, we were both talking about uh, when we were at the Cramp show back in, I don't know what that was, the early 90s. All right. Yes, early so, 90s. Jason, welcome to the show. <laughs> cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah. having me. Nice to meet you, Jason. It's nice meeting you, Johanna. So uh, tell us uh, a little bit about how the Super Satan show came to be. I was at a house party punk rock show with a friend, and we were smoking pot, talking about making movies. This dude wanted to make movies, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, we were swapping ideas for weird ideas for movies and stuff that we both had. And I had mentioned to him that my wife would like to watch the news more if the newscast was done with puppets. And I was like, no, not the meat ones you see. Yeah, on I was going to say, are you like, sure? Yeah, are you sure it's not, not already? The, not, let, me, let me just say, <laughs> not the meat ones we see, but the, you know, like actual felt puppets, you know. The fun kind. Um, so, and he's, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, you should do a talk show with a Satan puppet. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I should do that. And I was like, you know what? Let's do that. <laughs> you got you nice. got gear, right? You got stuff, right? And he was like, yeah, I got, I got a few things. And I was like, cool, let's, let's do it. And this dude, he made the original puppet. And uh, very cheaply, but the it, like the head is like two half circles of uh, green styrofoam, and it was like it was all put together with real cheap clothes and stuff, and uh, it looked ridiculous, and I loved it. And like I was, I lined up a person, I, I lined up a, a friend of mine named uh, Billy Tackett, who is a impressionist artist here in Cincinnati. And he's a good friend of mine and has a good sense of humor. So I was like, okay, well, this will be fun. So I interviewed him with the puppet. And we we cut up and made ridiculous jokes. And um, But mainly, 
I wanted to show his artwork, the type of, you know, what type of, like, while we were rolling around his studio with the camera, you know, I, 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 you know, we, I'd ask him about these, quite honestly, some really amazing pieces, you know, he, he, he dips his fingers in paint and flicks it onto the canvas and just makes these amazing fucking pieces. And so I wanted to, you know, have a little fun with him and uh, spotlight the, the, you know, his work. And uh, so we did that and it looked cool. Um, but the problem was my friend who had the gear had to give the gear back. And I don't know where any of that footage, I doubt I'll ever see any of that footage ever again, sadly. Yeah. But, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's whatever. But, and I thought that was pretty much the end of the Super Satan show right there. Uh, fast forward a couple of months later, Facebook Live becomes a thing. And suddenly, it fucking hits me. Holy shit. Everybody's Facebook page is potentially a TV channel now. And you could, if, like, everything that you needed to do something silly and ridiculous, like a one-act play, you know, or whatever, you have the ability to do it. It's, it's, in, it's in my pocket. Yeah. So, it's in my damn pocket. Uh, so... Yeah, I I called up my friend. I was like, Paul, check this out. What's the, you know about this Facebook Live stuff? And he's like, yeah, I guess you could go. I was like, okay, dude, come over to the house, bring that puppet. <laughs> and we'll set up in my kitchen and we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll play with it to see what happens. And uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, I basically, I just turned the camera on the puppet and started talking and people would like, clock in you know check in and start asking the puppet questions you know and uh at first it was kind of stupid you know and then i was like okay i know plenty of weird musicians let's i don't know let's talk to them about you know maybe not their music ask them about what they think about what's going on in china you know or whatever just ridiculous stuff whatever and so we started doing that and uh I've been doing that pretty much uh, for the last solid seven years. I'm going into my, I'm in the middle of my eighth season, something like that. And uh, yeah, I interview bands. It's like, it's like Wayne's World with a Satan puppet. Right. Okay. Right. It literally, that's, it, that's literally what it is. Um, I have currently, I'm, I'm, I broadcast out of a basement in Northside in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh Bands come over to the house. We push them down in the basement. You know, if they want to, if they want to use their gear, they can. Uh, we have gear here. You know, we can backline them on stuff. So, and uh, yeah, I I make them I, I make them play me rock and roll, and and then I tell them dick jokes with the with the puppet. Awesome. I remember we met up a few years ago, and. You were talking about the Super Satan show. I had been recording this. I don't think we had gone live yet by live. I mean, we hadn't released episodes yet. Right, right, right. And you were very encouraging at the time. You said, oh, people people are into all sorts of stuff on the internet. You should you should release it. You know, you should do it. Yeah. So, uh, but what I wanted to ask is like, do you remember what the first band you had on was? Uh, Dead Man, the Dead Man String Band. Dead Man String Band. Yep. He was a one-man musician. Okay. He's perfect. It was like, he's a one-man band. So, yeah, perfect. <laughs> awesome. Is that that still out there? That episode still? Yes, you can find that on YouTube. All like all the like the really really early broadcast. Now, be careful. It's pretty terrible video quality, but it's out there. You can you can find it. Okay. Um, yeah. My favorite video though. Can I just put yeah. my favorite video? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Several years ago, Joe Olstein came to Cincinnati and like had the U.S. Bank Arena, and my old partner and I took the puppet down there and oh, went no. live. Oh, oh no. man, it was fantastic! It was fantastic. It's probably the best, best, best video I ever shot. Um, now, I only scripted. Well, I don't, I don't like to script anything. You know, like I don't really. I just I, I do it off the cuff, you know. I, I my idea of funny is in the moment, you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
So, but I did, I, I was like, I want to take the puppet up to the will call window and tell them that we're on the guest list and we want backstage laminates. And they bought that? Uh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. Of course not. I've got a I've got a Satan puppet in the window at Joel Olstein demanding laminates for backstage. Hell no, they didn't do. No, of course not. Now, everything that happened beforehand, before that, and after that was completely unscripted and completely, quite on a fucking wackadoo. Like somebody ended up giving us tickets. <laughs> Nice. And this is like he, this guy. I don't know. After K, like the the whole bit with the 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 will call window was pretty funny because the guy is just looking at me like I'm I'm like ridiculous, and I'm like talking to him with the puppet, and I got his little felt hand tapping on the on the fucking little desk there, like, come on, give me the passes, let's go. Can can I talk to a manager? You know, somebody, somebody else. You know, and yeah, that was funny. And then we're standing there, you know, and like there's two policemen watching us this whole time while we're doing this. And you can see on their faces, they're like, hee hee hee, that's that's funny. <laughs> that's funny, but y'all be cool, you know, kinda kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And uh and we were we weren't being you know, we weren't trying to be offensive or you know, get in anybody's face or anything like that. But this guy walked straight up to us and he's like Hey, do you guys need tickets? And I immediately go, no, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> I don't want to go in there. And my partner's like, yeah, give them here. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And like he pulls out two of them for himself and hands us this envelope with like six fucking tickets in it. He's like, there you go. See you later. And walks off. And I'm like, and, and I'm looking at Tim and he's like, well, let's go. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't not go because like I've got a microphone yeah. into the phone so you can hear me and like I'm basically tethered to him. <laughs> and right, he's like right. walking and I'm like, God damn it. Okay. So we get up to the door. There's a metal detector there. Tim, my buddy Tim walk, sets the phone. You see the phone get set down in the plastic bin. All right. right. And you have to listen closely. But you hear some lady go, sir, you can't bring that in here. And I went, no, it's fine. I have tickets. It's okay. And again, you hear, sir, you can't bring that in here. And I start, uh, and like, I look up and there's a guy. You can't see it as he's off camera. You can't see it. But there's a guy to my right. And he's wearing a suit and tie. And he was part of the uh, security team there. And he's like, you got to go. And I was like, I started screaming puppet racist at them. <laughs> This is puppet racism. What the, what's going on here? I have tickets. I demand. I demand to see a manager. And like, and they're like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, all right, all right, we're going. We're going. It's cool. We're going. <laughs> uh, we ran into protesters, um, and not the type of protesters you think. Uh, yeah, watch oh. the video. It's it's called False Prophets. It's on YouTube. It's pretty great. Um, awesome. But yeah, I have I have a great time with I have all kinds of rock and roll, different types of music. Check it out. Who you got coming up on the show? Yeah, uh, we actually had. We've been recording. We uh, used to go live all the time, which I kind of liked. But uh, my producers and uh, my sound guy both kind of cornered me, and they're like, "Well, we want to edit things and mix stuff, and you know, make things sound really good." And I'm like, "Oh, that's awesome!" But um, I, I guys, I can't pay you to do that. You know, I, I can't pay you to do that. I don't, we don't make any money doing this. It's a, it's a puppet show, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make any money doing this, you know? And, uh, but they were like, no, we want to do it. So we've been editing videos and my sound man, Krusty makes the sound. He's been, you know, been a sound man for a real long time. Knows what he's doing and, uh, does really good. They sound great. The videos look cool. We've got a bunch of different, somebody gave us a bunch of GoPros. Oh, nice. So, like, I've got, yeah, man, I couldn't believe it. They were like, here, take these. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, we, we got a bunch of different camera angles now than what, what used to be just one static shot or one static shot, like with my cell phone. Now I've got, I don't know, eight cameras to work with. 
like overheads and yeah it's it's uh it's definitely you can if you look at the early stuff from when i started to where i am now it's definitely a different animal but the essence of what what i'm doing is still there and uh, my passion for it awesome well when we were doing this uh choosing this film i knew that satan played a role in it so i was like let's get (laughs) let's get jason in on this and and make him watch this so uh let's start talking about this film okay i'm gonna kick it over to johanna first here so uh as soon as this opens um you know, it start opens with a drug lord, a pimp, whatever. He's hiding heroin in the basement of this cartoony house and uh, finds a portal to the sixth dimension. Um, you want to take it from there and let us know uh, what your reaction to this stuff was when you saw it? I actually love the animation in this film throughout. And I feel like it's a strong opening to indicate, you know, like, Haunted House, something weird is going to be going on here. And I'm glad that they decided to leave it there, Pimp Escapes. And now we've instead got this totally deranged family that moves in after the credits, (laughs) after the opening title sequence. Yeah. The Hercules family. I don't know where they came up with this name other than, you know, it's an absurdist film. So I think they just get to pick and choose whatever they want to. But... It's a mother, father, grandfather, and two kids. And they are all adults. Yeah. I'm curious, like, I don't know at what point we want to talk about it, but how old do you think the two children are? Um, Frenchie, the daughter, (laughs) and the son, Flash. Because they are adults. They do adult things during the course of the film, but at some point they're at school and they're learning their letters. So how old do do we think these children are? You know, I never thought about that. I thought they were in their 20s, but then, yeah, they were learning uh, their ABCs. So um, you got me. I mean... Well, I feel like you have to sort of do some loose, like this represents that kind of interpretation. And so I don't know whether we're supposed to assume they're actually in high school and that the, you know, they're learning their letters thing is not meant to be taken literally. It's, you know, they're learning dumb, useless things in school and it might as well be represented by the alphabet or whether it's the other way around of like, they literally are elementary school students. And this film is about how perverse children can be. It's one or the other. (laughs) Or something something else. I don't know. I think, so there's a reason I chose this to follow up Haosu. Mm. One, I needed some weird acid trippy thing to follow. It's hard to find a film to, to, to follow Haosu with. Did you just Google like films with floating heads? Was that, was that how you? <laughs> you know me better than that. There's a grand plan at work here. We're going ah, somewhere with this, right? Of course. <laughs> but uh, the dubious age of the kids just like in Haosu was part of it it's like Mm. you know it's like are they like in their 20s are they teenagers are they kids I don't know Jason do you have an opinion on this I thought it was weird that uh, the kid looked older than the granddad yes you know uh, I think they're just they're actors representing whatever it doesn't necessarily matter what they're learning or what their age is they're like supposed to be school children of some of some descript and i don't know maybe not i i I didn't think about too much of what all that meant i did think what, what i will say is uh it was interesting how uh their their depiction of what school is like then and how much it's that way now still you know yeah i mean even more so with the the gun shoot the 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 gun the shootout scene uh in the in the school it was like you know with things going on the way they are today i was like wow you kind of yeah, they nailed the that crystal, one. You looked in the crystal ball there, buddy. And that's that's <laughs> almost spot on. <laughs> yeah, that 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 I I had that thought too when I saw that. I'm like, okay, they got this one right. <laughs> Certain things I don't necessarily ask. Why is that? I just accept that it is and roll with it. 
Yeah. One thing I wanted to look into more doing the research for this was the film is described as being very offensive, but I was curious whether the things that offended people when the film came out in 1980, 1982, depending on when you saw it, like, would they, would they have been offended by the same things? Because there's some interesting, like, transphobia and homophobia. Yeah, yeah, there's stuff. a lot of that, yeah. But I don't know whether that would have been the stuff they found offensive or whether it would have been some of this other stuff about, like... There was the, a little bit of a little rape and a little rapey action in there. Uh, I, I think... Yeah, they, more than a little. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, okay, a lot, a lot of rape. There was a lot of... Let's just say, let's just go ahead and just say it. There was a lot of rape in that, in that movie. You know, but not, like, gratuitous they, or, like, it really, you know... But yes, it was very suggested. There's a lot of yeah. suggested. Rape. Well, we may need to wait until we get into the sixth dimension to talk about like uh, what oh, the let's sex go with there. clothes yeah. on is. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive, um, let's dive down that weird Monty Python tube and let's go. <laughs> I actually love the digestive system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tri- that was something. Usually, I don't do well with scatological humor, but I thought it was really it was funny and well handled. That and- was yeah. That was done. You know the. Brown pillows. When you dropped that, I was like, <laughs> you yeah, know, it but was I, funny. you know, it was funny. I, I'm, st- I'm still twelve, so you know, poop jokes make me laugh. So, but I love that what leads us in there is like Frenchie's like, I'm just gonna take a peek. I'm just gonna take a peek down, you know, mm-hmm. like a whole opening Pandora's box thing, and then slips on the roller skate and all the way in. Just yeah, you know, yeah. The film is fun for gags like that. Yeah, for me, visually, I. <sighs> I was a little disappointed by it because I have already seen. Are, are you guys, are are you familiar with the band The Residents? Absolutely, love The Residents. Okay, have you seen the the movie they did called Whatever Happened to Violinist Fats? I have not seen that. Oh no. man, maybe we okay. need to do that on the show. Whatever happened to Violinist Fats? Okay, man, I feel like Danny Elfman saw that saw that and basically just kind of did his own version of it in, in my in my opinion that's just my opinion it's possible i mean they would have been uh, yeah they would have been aware of the residents i mean they you know that they would have been aware of the residents probably you know if you're a weird weirdo musician doing weird music you probably got friends that do weird music and <laughs> and and quite frankly that that was done earlier than this movie so that's why I feel like he had to have seen that and kind of just adapted a lot of the stuff that he saw in that to his own movie, like all the weird cardboard cutouts, uh, like the the guys, the boxing dudes with the big burly mustaches and yep. stuff like that, that, that man, that's, that's two characters out of, out of whatever happened to Violinist Fats. I mean, it's. Yeah, I think they're in, um, they're also in, so I, I had the Residence Freak Show, which was a DVD, which was a cd Interactive DVD, yeah, yes, yeah. I, I played it, yes, yes, yeah. I know exactly, yeah. And I think those characters were in there too. What My first note on this when I was watching this was, this is what happens when the improv theater group, the burlesque review, and the punk rock music scene, and the AV geeks all end up on one stage. Because it kind of felt like everybody was throwing in, like, this is what we got, you know? Right, right. All right, let's yes. put it all on the table, see what we got. Yeah, definite uh, yes and vibe coming from uh-huh. the film. <laughs> well, yeah. It's kind of like the trauma school of filmmaking, where it's just like, yeah, let's throw that in. Yeah, sure. Why not? Because why not? You know, Lloyd. I, I I know Lloyd. He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. We shouldn't beat around the bush here. The this movie is an excuse for the music numbers. That's what it comes down to. Because it's like music video after music video. This kingdom is ruled over by um, King Fausto. King Fausto. King Fausto. That's right. King okay. Fausto. Yes. Yes. What's the queen's name? I don't know if she has a name. I I just have the queen. Okay, the queen. Yeah, yeah, the queen. And then their daughter, the princess, who I think they just called the princess. Princess, yeah, yeah. She was just princess. Yeah. Hot, topless, all throughout the whole all movie. The time, <laughs> the whole time. Yay. Yeah. Never puts anything on. <laughs> just pearls. Just oh pearls. yeah, just pearls. Yeah. High heels, pearls. Did she wear opera gloves? I want to say. Yeah, I think May- that was. Yeah, she might have had gloves and yeah. panties, like yes. like. 
granny panties almost granny like panties, see yeah. through granny panties <laughs> yes that's true <laughs> yeah and i think that like granny panties like that was probably the norm at the time this was made right? 1981 yeah yeah so let's talk about the music numbers you know you were talking earlier jason about getting free tickets to stuff and like i remember in the late 80s there were a ton of good shows happening in one week in the town I lived in, Cincinnati, Ohio. And one of them was Devo. Sweet. And one was Oingo Boingo. And they were back to back on different nights. Like, so there's one night was Devo, Oingo Boingo was another night. There were a bunch of other good bands. That whole week was filled with shows. I could only afford to go to one. The Sophie's chose, Choice. Yeah, I chose Devo because Devo didn't tour that often. Uh, at that time and Oingo Boingo toured a lot so I was like I can always catch Oingo Boingo again even though I've never seen either of these bands live before no regrets about seeing Devo and Mm. it was just amazing they but I was disappointed I couldn't see Oingo Boingo and then there was this girl named Iz and back then what people got to understand is there's like if you were a freak into weird music like there were only so many of us around so you were instantly friends with anyone else that was I didn't know Iz that well she went to the same college I did and uh, she hung out in the same lounge that I did. And she left an envelope with my name on it. And she had had to leave to go to, I think home for like Thanksgiving or something. I opened this envelope and there's a ticket to Oingo Boingo. Oh, so I went to Oingo Boingo the next night and Danny Elfman is amazing. Like the whole band is great, but it's like, it is an experience to see Danny Elfman on stage. It makes you want to start a band. It really does. It was an amazing show. They played really long. I think it was the Boingo Alive tour. So they were playing all their hits and playing, you know, everything. It was amazing. The fact that Danny Elfman was going to perform a song in this, that is the sole reason I wanted to see it. It really is the reason to watch this film, in my opinion. You want to tell us what he does in this, uh, Johanna? Yeah, well, our friend Danny Elfman gets to be Satan, which is by far that musical number is the best one of the bunch. There's some like weird cabaret type numbers. Um, there's a song in that's partially or mostly in French. Like we we get a, a very eclectic musical review, but Satan's number, which uh, blatantly steals from Cab Calloway's Minnie the Moocher, the oh, oh. Heidi, um, Heidi, Heidi, ho, Heidi, yeah, Heidi, yeah, Heidi, yeah. Heidi, Heidi, yeah. It's it's basically the same thing. He just changes the words. Yeah. Anyway, it's um, it's an amazing number. He's got this incredible red beard. It's it's an interesting interpretation of Satan. He's definitely pretty classy, dude. It's zoot suit Satan. Yeah, zoot yeah. suit Satan. Yeah, Satan. man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his whole plan is that he wants the princess. Yeah. And he convinces Frenchie to bring her to him. Yeah. Then proceeds to like kill him anyway, but, or try to kill him anyway. But all right. So I got a question because I mean, this whole episode is built around this. I got to ask Jason, what do you think Satan, the Satan that you're familiar with on your show would say (laughs) about this particular um, incarnation of himself? Uh, uh, He'd be disappointed. Really, and and I and I'm I'm I am want to agree because this guy is such a good musician, and he and he fucking rips off Cab Calloway. Come on, man! Come on, man! <laughs> well, it is Where's credited it? Yeah, as. Yeah. Did you did you dump all your imagination into this making this terrible movie, and you didn't have time to write a good fucking song? Come on, come on! <laughs> that's that you know, and although he did look cool. Satan will give him props because he did look cool, but for the rest of it, eh. Okay. Okay. Just to be clear for both of you guys, they don't try to hide that this is a cover. It's credited as Minnie the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And all that. Um, Go, as it should be. As it should a, be. They don't try to pretend like they're they're doing something else. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, but I get it. I get it. They could have done an original music number here. Or, um, yeah, something. Well, all the lyrics on the top, though, are his. Yeah, they've changed the lyrics around. I I took it more as a love letter. But 
I don't know, maybe I found so much of the film like really off-putting that it was kind of nice to have just like this one <laughs> life raft to cling to this, of like this one oh, thing, this, oh, one, this one thing oh, this is isn't terrible. something I like. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't a, terrible. you know, death by cattle prod to the vagina or and, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. The, like the rape cage or whatever. I mean, like there's yeah. just so much of this film that is really fucked up and I was like, oh my God, Cap Calloway. Well, <laughs> I'll say that aficionados of this film prefer it the original way richard elfman the director he had always intended to colorize this he wanted to use a process that was actually pioneered way back by max fleischer which is to send it out to korea and have it hand painted the same rotoscoping technique by the way that we will later see in bakshi films is what he wanted done with this Although he never had the budget to do it until computer colorization came around. And that's why we watched the director's cut of this. But true fans of this in all its infinite badness like it in black and white. It hmm. They say it seems more sleazy in black and white. I, yeah, I would imagine yeah, it I definitely it. hits different. hits different in black and white. But one of the big changes that was made is the blackface. So in black and white, if you see the black and white version of this, the Mystic Knights are totally in blackface like the original Mini Moocher cartoon by Max Fleischer, which was, you know, as we said, made in the 1930s, super racist by today's standards. They changed it to clown makeup because they had the ability to do that when they went to go colorize it. So that, yeah, racism is something that's often uh, accused of. But in general, racism aside, fans of the film like it in black and white because they just say it's it's like it seems dirtier, you know? Yeah, well, I could, I could my, see that. Yeah, and it might call back more to like B science fiction films, which there's definitely like B science fiction vibes all over this with the Queen's, you know, Bride of Frankenstein mm -hmm. hairdo and... She shoots um, a guy with a ray gun at one point. The guy with yeah. the ray gun. There's there's a frogman butler. Like, you know, there's there's just like <laughs> a, ra a rapey one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like it's a disease that's catching in, in yeah. the, the land down there. I thought yeah. it was interesting that like they're all completely clothed the entire time. So it's yeah. more like aggressive dry humping. Right, which, right. Yeah. It's just like there's all sorts of sorts of weirdness about this. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, we are running short on time. So I'm going to ask for final opinions on thumbs up or thumbs down on this. We will start with our guest, Jason. Why don't you give us your thumbs up and thumbs down? And then you can also tell us if you wanted what, what you think Satan would say. I give it a solid meh. <laughs> it was all right. But again, I watched The Residents. Yeah. And it felt like to me, and again, just my opinion, it felt like a lot of ripping off of those guys. You know, the music was interesting and in a lot of different ways because I like weird music. And that's why I was a little disappointed with the Cab Calloway thing. I was like, you know, you come on, you know, give us give us something, you know. Satan would say. Uh, I'm going to use it to torture people. <laughs> I think I couldn't turn off my impulse to want the film to mean something. So it's a thumbs down just because of the type of movie watcher I am. But if you are un if you are able to turn that part of you off that wants to read symbolism, it's fun. Just some of the weird stuff they chose to do, like the fact that all of the people who have been captured and put into the sixth dimension have to wear Mickey Mouse ears like there's just some there's some fun stuff like there's dice everywhere there's um like a a, a Jewish money changing character who says yeah like, what's a nice Jewish boy like you doing in the sixth dimension like there's just like some fun weird stuff they've got in here but ultimately the film just doesn't seem like it's trying to pull any kind of meaning or story together and I'm the type of moviegoer who wants there to be something that I could take away from it other than like the pile of crap that they threw in for fun. Okay. So real quick, that Jewish, um, the Jewish guy who says that it's also accused of being anti-Semitic. and R Richard Elfman's 
who's Jewish himself. <laughs> yeah. His his um his response to that was I just cast my uncle and he was playing himself. <laughs> so like <laughs> um so anyway. I uh, agree on the storyline, except for the fact that what I would do, I, I would love to re-edit this. I would just edit out almost all of the bad acting and just string all the musical numbers together and make it more like Pink Floyd's The Wall, where it's just like goes from music number to music number without like any like of the story bits in between. That's what I would like to do with it if I could. Eat LSD and watch it. <laughs> One final thought. If I had to choose between this film and Meet the Feebles, I might pick this film. Okay. Which I know is puppet heresy to a puppet guy, but yeah. Have you seen Meet the Feebles? Yeah. I have, actually. Just recently, actually. Um, Yeah, that was... uh... Wow. Yeah, that we, was something else. <laughs> we did that one. We did that one on the show and it traumatized Johanna. So uh, uh, yeah, permanently, yeah. forever. Nice. Well, we're going to wrap it up here uh, for this uh, episode. I want to remind you that if you want to write to us, you can. It's GC8podcast, all one word, letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Basically, uh, the only way we get out there is by word of mouth. So if you could just tell somebody else about the show, spread the word, let them know you listened to uh, a great episode about early Oingo Boingo with a special guest who has a Satan puppet show on it and uh, (laughs) send them to this episode until next time. This is Eric. This is Johanna. And we have with us Jason Staley signing off. Thanks guys. Um, uh, how, uh, one question I actually forgot to ask, um, are, are you allowed uh, to say what, what's the audience? Uh, like, uh, yeah, sir, yeah, you're uh, good. Okay, and whatever great, you want. Great.